Hi, everyone. This is Ted O'Connell, author of USMLE Step 2 Secrets. Before we get started with this episode of the podcast, I just want to tell you about a new project I'm developing called MedPrep to Go. The idea here is to create a free online and audio USMLE question bank for both Step 1 and Step 2, with the overall goal of reducing the cost of medical education and giving you time back in your day, just like we're doing with this podcast. It's still early in the process, and we're adding a lot of questions and new episodes of the podcast regularly, but I'd love to have you go check it out at medpreptogo.com. And if you're interested in getting involved in developing questions for this question bank and getting some mentoring directly from me on how to develop questions, I'd love to have you involved. You can email me at ted.medpreptogo at gmail.com or you can go over to medpreptogo.com and sign up through the website. So thanks so much for uh, listening and enjoy the podcast. I'm Ted O'Connell, author of USMLE Step 2 Secrets and Chief Content Officer for Inside the Boards. This is the Step 2 Secrets podcast, where we provide you the high-yield content from Step 2 Secrets in audio format, as well as question breakdowns, so you can study on the go and get back to reclaiming some of your life. Okay, let's go through a question breakdown for this laboratory medicine chapter. So the vignette says, a 17-year-old boy is seen in the emergency department with a complaint of muscle weakness. The weakness developed gradually over 24 hours. The patient has a vaguely strange affect, but has no other complaints or health problems. Vital signs are normal, and the only physical examination finding is generalized decreased muscle strength. Initial laboratory tests show a serum potassium of 5.9 milliequivalents per liter, where normal is 3.5 to 5.0 milliequivalents per liter a serum phosphorus of 8 milligrams per deciliter, where normal is 3 to 4.5 milligrams per deciliter, and serum calcium of 6 milligrams per deciliter, where normal is 8.4 to 10.2 milligrams per deciliter. A drug screen is positive for fencyclidine, or PCP. Follow-up laboratory tests show serum creatinine kinase levels 100 times normal, and serum myoglobin of 300 nanograms per milliliter, where normal is 0 to 85 nanograms per milliliter. Which of the following is the most appropriate therapy for this patient's condition? Is it A, intravenous bicarbonate infusion, B, intravenous calcium infusion, C, intravenous insulin and glucose infusion, D, oral ion exchange resin therapy, or E, plasmapheresis. So let's talk about this case. Uh, We have some pretty obvious laboratory abnormalities where there is hyperkalemia, hyperphosphatemia, and hypocalcemia, as well as a drug screen that's positive for PCP. And then we're told that the serum CK levels, or creatine kinase, are 100 times normal, and the serum myoglobin level is also elevated. So basically what we're looking at here is a case of rhabdomyolysis. So then the question becomes, what is the best treatment of these treatment choices? 
And if I were looking at for answers right off the bat, I would be looking for intravenous normal saline. That is not a choice of these five. And so then the question becomes, okay, so what's potentially the next best answer? And in this case, it would be intravenous bicarbonate infusion. Now, uh, it is a little bit unclear about in the medical literature about how effective bicarbonate infusion can be in a case of rhabdo, because really it is a matter of IV fluid replacement and really flushing the system to help with rhabdo. And then the other potential issue with a, a bicarbonate infusion is it can make hypocalcemia worse. But just looking at all of these answer choices, it is the best answer choice in here. Rhabdo, as we know, is a result of damage to striated muscle, leading to an elevation of CK and myoglobin in the serum. And this can then lead to acute kidney injury. And as I mentioned, the the main treatment for AKI or acute kidney injury is hydration and possibly, although it's not universally done and is even questionable, but alkalinization of the urine with IV bicarbonate. Hemodialysis sometimes is needed in the case of uh, severe hyperkalemia and rhabdomyolysis. That's not the case in this particular vignette, but something to consider for other questions. So let's go through the rest of the answer choices. Uh, Intravenous calcium infusion can actually result in metastatic calcifications and should not be given to a patient with rhabdo. Choice C is intravenous insulin and glucose. The hyperkalemia in rhabdo actually responds poorly to glucose and insulin, so this is not a great choice. Choice D, oral ion exchange resin therapy. Potassium levels in this case are not high enough to require ion exchange therapy, and we would expect that the potassium levels should drop with intravenous normal saline volume loading and and a lot of diuresis. And then finally, choice E, plasmapheresis. There's no evidence that plasmapheresis alters the course or improves outcomes of rhabdomyolysis. So the learning point here is this patient has acute rhabdo secondary to PCP use. This is demonstrated by his generalized muscle weakness as well as his dramatically elevated CK and myoglobin levels. Additionally, the patient may also have dark brown to reddish urine. Rhabdo can lead to acute kidney injury resulting in electrolyte abnormalities, as we saw in this case. And the management of this condition mainly concerns treating the acute kidney injury and trying to normalize electrolytes with very significant amounts of intravenous fluids. And with that, we'll get back to our show. This is the laboratory medicine chapter of USMLE Step 2 Secrets, 5th edition. Question 1. What may cause a false lab report of hyperkalemia? Hemolysis of the blood sample. Remember that potassium is mainly intracellular, so cell lysis will cause a falsely elevated value. Repeat the test if a high value doesn't make sense, such as a high level with no EKG changes or symptoms. Question 2. What can cause a false hyponatremia or pseudohyponatremia? Pseudohyponatremia may be caused by hyperglycemia, hyperproteinemia, such as from multiple myeloma, or from hyperlipidemia, 
The hyponatremia resolves with correction of the glucose, protein, or lipid levels, respectively. You can determine if the hyponatremia is true, a hypotonic hyponatremia, or pseudo, an isotonic hyponatremia, by measuring the plasma osmolality. Causes of hyponatremia can be investigated by assessing extracellular volume status. Question 3. What may result from rapid correction of hyponatremia? Osmotic demyelination syndrome, or ODS, formerly called central pontine myelinolysis, which can result in irreversible or only partially reversible symptoms such as dysarthria, paresis, behavioral disturbances, lethargy, confusion, and coma. There is greater risk for this complication with longer duration of hyponatremia. In general, you should not give hypertonic saline, that is 3% sodium chloride, to correct hyponatremia except in severe or symptomatic cases, and then it should be given only in limited quantities. Question 4. What effect do serum acidosis and serum alkalosis have on potassium and calcium levels? Alkalosis may cause hypokalemia and symptoms of hypocalcemia, such as perioral numbness and tetany, caused by cellular shift, whereas acidosis may cause hyperkalemia by the same mechanism. Correction of acid-base status will correct the potassium and calcium derangements. Question 5. Other than pancreatic disease, what else can cause elevated levels of amylase and lipase? Damage of the salivary glands or bowel, renal failure, and ruptured tubal pregnancy may cause amylase and lipase elevations. Elevation of both amylase and lipase in the same patient, however, is usually due to pancreatitis. The boards may try to trick you with an isolated elevation of amylase. Question 6. Which diseases can cause elevated levels of alkaline phosphatase? What lab test is used to distinguish among these diseases? Alkaline phosphatase can be elevated in biliary disease, bone disease, or pregnancy because the placenta produces alkaline phosphatase. If the elevation is due to biliary disease, GGT and or 5NT should also be elevated. Both values, however, are normal in bone disease and pregnancy. Question 7. True or false? Hypothyroidism can cause elevated cholesterol. True. Thyroid hormone replacement corrects the elevated cholesterol. Question 8. Injury to what organ other than the heart causes elevated levels of creatine kinase, or CK? Muscle. Watch for trauma, rhabdomyolysis, HMG-CoA reductase inhibitors, or statins, which can cause muscle damage, and burns. Question 9. What is the relationship of low calcium and potassium levels to low levels of magnesium? Hypokalemia and or hypocalcemia may be due to hypomagnesemia. In addition, if hypomagnesemia is present, it is often impossible to correct the hypokalemia or hypocalcemia until you correct the hypomagnesemia. If a patient has hypokalemia that does not correct with administration of potassium supplements, check the magnesium level. Question 10. Which two electrolytes are classically depleted in the setting of diabetic ketoacidosis 
or diabetic hyperosmolar hyperglycemic state, potassium and phosphorus. Question 11. What does a BUN to creatinine ratio greater than 15 or 20 generally imply? Dehydration. Question 12. What disease classically causes a false positive result on the RPR or VDRL syphilis tests? Systemic lupus erythematosus, or SLE. A false positive result on the RPR or VDRL test is actually one of the diagnostic criteria for SLE. Question 13. Define isosthenuria. What condition does it suggest? Isosthenuria is the inability to concentrate or dilute the urine. The specific gravity of urine and serum is the same, classically 1.010. Isosthenuria is often associated with sickle cell trait or disease. Question 14. What does an elevated ESR mean in pregnancy? Nothing. This is a normal finding in pregnancy. That is, it is not a good test to order in a pregnant patient. Question 15. True or false? A high normal level of BUN or creatinine during pregnancy often indicates renal disease. True. BUN and creatinine are decreased significantly in pregnancy after the first trimester in women with normal renal function. That's the end of this chapter. A big thank you to Elsevier Incorporated, my publishing company behind USMLE Step 2 Secrets, for allowing us to put out this book in audio format. Please check out the other Inside the Boards podcasts over at InsideTheBoards.com, including the main Inside the Boards podcast and the Inside the Boards Study Smarter series for question breakdowns and tips on getting through medical school. And with that, we wrap up today's episode of USMLE Step 2 Secrets. Hi, this is Ted O'Connell. I just wanted to let you know real quick that when the time comes for you to begin studying for the USMLE Step 3, we actually now have a USMLE Step 3 subscription podcast. So I encourage you to check that out over at medpreptogo.com. We have sample episodes available. And even if you're studying for Step 2, you may actually find some of this content uh, really useful for your studies. So please do check it out.